That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Dickie Betts may have been a rambling man, but today I will not be. It's an Almond <laughs> Brothers reference for all you millennials slash Gen Zers, all six of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, the Allman Brothers Band was a southern jam band um, mm. led by two incredible musicians, brothers Dwayne and uh, Greg Allman. But Diggy Betts also played slide guitar, and he sang the lead vocals on Ramblin' Man. And I say that because I don't want to ramble. I want to get to the point. I want to talk about, which I've already said too much, uh, yeah. as we as we head now into this um, Sunday for uh, uh, in mid-August, uh, August 8th, um, which is going to be... Gosh, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. And Pentecost, the season after Pentecost will continue for 500 more weeks. So just uh, you'll be in this season mm-hmm. for a long time wearing your green stoles. Jake, it's how are good. you? I'm doing great. I just want to give, um, so, uh, you know, this is, I just want to give you a shout out. And a because um, I was listening to a podcast oh, yeah. uh, prepping that you were on called The Soul of Christianity with our friend Debbie Winrich. And, um, um, a 1517 podcast and I just want to you know cross pollinate and give a shout out because I was prepping because I'm about to go to Mexico and teach and I'm going to teach on the Virgin Mary and so I wondered what uh, you guys had to say about it and so anyway you you were excellent man excellent Thanks. yeah so the 1517 project for those of you who don't know is sort of this it's the Lutheran version of Mockingbird they're run out of California they have great conferences great people and uh they um yeah, they did this podcast. I think they've had a couple of iterations of it, The Soul of Christianity. But this Three one was seasons, on the, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. This was uh, uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, and they had different people speaking on different different belief statements in the creed, and I got the um, the Born of the Virgin Mary one. And so, uh, did I ever tell you about my visit to the Shrine of Guadalupe, God's holy... Uh, um, uh, what's that? It's not an escalator, but it's like a moving yeah, sidewalk. it's a moving floor. I've been there too. It's incredible in the Basilica de Virgen yeah, de Guadalupe. Yeah. So yeah, how was it? Did you get well, sprayed I, with a squirt just, gun of holy water? No. Every time I, people complain about how uncomfortable our kneelers are at Saint Albans, I just think of those pilgrims at that shrine <laughs> on their knees across like a hundred yards the of steps. cobblestone. I'm like you. <laughs> American Christians yeah. need to shut your pie hole. Yeah, and, you uh, need some. You need some Central American indigenous piety. So that's anyway, right. I um, mean, Jesus carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, uh, here we are, and we're doing great, and we hope you're doing well as also. Maybe um, having something cool to drink. Uh, are we also today hope are... you're doing well? Additionally, and also. <laughs> Our readings today are 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9, 15, 31 yes. to 33. Don't you even think about verses 10, 11, 12, 13, or 14. Yeah. Skip to 15, and then nothing until verse 31. Thanks, lectionary. Yeah. 
those aren't red letter passages. So anyway, and then you have Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 5-2, and then John chapter 6, 35, 41 to 51. And so where, um, well, we see uh, where Jesus brings the heat that um, um, I thought he brought last week. And so anyway, so what's going on here in Second uh, Samuel chapter 18, Aaron? Well, first of all, don't preach on this passage. Second, exactly. if you want to preach on this passage, there's a lot of historical context you have to get to. So this yes. is the, uh, and if you're if you're a scholar of Southern of American Southern literature, and you know a lot about William Faulkner, you know this whole Absalom deal, and because uh, he wrote a book called Absalom, Absalom, kind of setting in a Southern Gothic context uh, the family dynamics that we have all year with good old King David, King David putting the fun back in dysfunctional families. So what happened here? Go well, ahead. this what is all the fulfillment of that prophecy. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you know, after David slept with Bathsheba, there was that thing uh, about bad stuff is going to happen to your family. The result of betrayal and deception and <laughs> honestly murder never really goes well in a family. And so we begin to see this play out. So backstory a little bit. Absalom is one of David's sons. And he's super hot. He's like the Ryan Gosling of the mm-hmm. uh, Old Testament. With longer Apparently, hair. Yeah, with long hair. Apparently, like, when you cut he had his hair cut once a year, and when he did so, it was, like, it weighed 30 pounds. It was so, like, so much body. It was just beautiful hair, apparently. And It's a lot uh, of Pantene. A lot, so much uh, VO5. So, um, whatever happened to Vidal Sassoon? I don't know. I think it's still around, but um, yeah. we digress. Yeah. At your so, local Dwayne Reed. So, uh, David has this son, Absalom. We're punchy this morning, just have mm, to say. It is. So it's Absalom, the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Absalom had um, killed his brother, Amnon, because Amnon had, and this is really kind of horrific, um, had raped his sister, uh, Tamar. And... So Absalom, to kind of defend her honor and to get revenge on the one who committed sexual assault, his brother, half-brother, and uh, Tamar's also brother. So incestual, incestuous rape is just an awful, awful thing. And a- Absalom killed Amnon uh, and then had to flee because of that, because he was a murderer of a member of the royal family. And he was stayed away for two or three years. He came back um, and then... Uh, led a an uprising against David, kind of uh, um, kind of started a civil war, and was unsuccessful in that. It was kind of successful uh, in in that he forced David to flee, but David ended up coming back and regaining the throne. Uh, he also very publicly, and this was part of the prophecy uh, at when the time of Bathsheba. Um, Absalom went to the roof of the palace and set up a tent and in the view of all Israel slept with all his father's concubines. Sort of a very public, humiliating, cuckolding sort of situation. Um, Mm. Obviously, this is some of the most deeply problematic stuff in the scriptures when you get to um, the humanity and personhood of women. Uh, And this is not a passage, by the way, that... um, approves of or condones any of that. It's description of the culture at the time, an accurate description of what the culture was like at the time um, across the ancient world, actually, um, in some places much worse. Uh, and you have to realize that the, the scriptures um, over time always have this arc towards uh, equality of human beings made in the image of God and the worth and dignity of every person. And of course, you see this 
prominently displayed in the ministry of Jesus and how he treats women in a very countercultural way in the ancient world. So, anyways, all that to say is that's the back story to this thing. And what's happened now is that Absalom um, is uh, going out to battle uh, against David's officers. And um, interestingly, David tells his military commanders, Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. So here's a guy who's a murderer, hot-tempered, narcissistic uh, person who's tried to kick me out of the, off the throne. If you've ever known a family where there's like a really problematic child in the family and um, the whole family kind of energy centers around this one person, there's like successful children who've done well in life, but then there's like one that hasn't and everything is about that one child. That's sort of like what um, David's thing with Absalom is. Absalom's been hugely problematic, but David just keeps giving him more and more rope and just won't, won't kind of rein him in. And so he says, even though he's leading this rebellion against me, when you go out to fight in battle with him, don't, don't be mean to him. Um, and so they fight, and then, of course, Absalom gets his head stuck in a tree, and maybe, yep. again, his big hair's caught in the branches or something. And uh, it's sort of a funny scene, like his, he's riding a mule, it's kind of like a cartoon, like his head gets caught in this branch, and then the mule keeps going, so he's just hanging there, and then mm. Joab's... They get him. Um, people find him and they kill him because the enemy and then so the this Cushite messenger comes and tells David hey good news like we won the battle isn't that great and David only cares about what happened to Absalom and uh uh he doesn't care about his victory his kingdom taking care of the people of Israel whatever um and the Cushite tells him basically that uh, Absalom was killed and Absalom goes now weeps oh Absalom Absalom giving the title to William Faulkner's novel uh and um and wishes that he had died instead of Absalom. So it's just like this great he loves Absalom a great deal, but Absalom's been deeply difficult. It's just a a, a hard passage. And I mm. think this is why cuz you have to explain too much and it's so dark. This is why you don't want to preach on it. Yeah. However, it does if demonstrate do. if you do, you can say aren't kings terrible? Wasn't this a horrible idea? Aren't you glad we have uh, David's greater son, Jesus, who um, actually redeems us and saves us? And if, if, we, if we did have to rely on human people uh, who are not also fully God, um, you have to rely on anybody but Jesus, a political ruler, a military ruler, anything like that, it's always going to disappoint you. People have been disappointed in pastors and religious figures for millennia. It didn't start with Hillsong. It didn't start with Jay Baker, James Baker. It didn't start with Televangelist. It didn't start with Amy Semple McPherson. And it didn't start when Luther got crazy in his old age. Like, people have always been disappointed in religious leaders, and this is why we turn to Jesus. That's what I would say about that. Right. Well, you've said a lot, and that's uh, good. And uh, I think that's exactly right. And I think if you are, you you have to preach that um, David um, here is a a type of uh, his greater son, and that he actually uh, cares for the rebellious. He loves the sinner. You know, the the rebellious son, which we all are. You know, it didn't change the Absalom's. Um, uh, rebellion didn't change the fact that he was David's son. And neither does your rebellion change the fact that you are God's son by virtue of your baptism and the blood shed for you in Jesus Christ. And uh, and uh, that um, God cares for you and goes after you. So if you're going to preach, because this is, this is definitely not Sunday school felt board stuff. Um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is heavy duty and this is dark. 
and uh, and uh, but um, that's where God operates on in the darkness of the cross uh, to uh, take um, slaves and uh, make them sons, and then continue to assure wayward sons and daughters that he's always for them. Yep. Every time somebody says they want to live in their family, like according to biblical family values, I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. have you read the Bible? Please don't make so me like silly. David. I just like to be more like the early church. She's like, no, oh my gosh. no, 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 no. Oh, you find your stepmother hot then, is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's so, in anyway. 1 Corinthians, for those of you who are wondering. So, oh, Ephesians... you'd like to lie about the money you're giving to the church and be struck dead in the middle of the congregation? You want that to happen, too? So, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, you're yeah really sorry. Into I keep, I, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I dig- we digress. You're We're rambling. We're not going to be rambling. I know. Okay, Ephesians so, chapter 4. Verses 25 to 5-2. Putting away falsehoods, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, reaching for your holster. But we're members of one another. This is one of these. Um, this is one of these interesting passages where uh, basically Saint Paul is once again laying out the description of what uh, uh, church life looks like. Anything you would say on that, Aaron? Yeah. So this is called paranesis. If you want mm. a long Greek word, this is when Paul, at the end of his letters, tends to exhort his readers uh, and describe what the Christian life looks like. Um, the first half of Paul's letters are often description of the gospel. Uh, the proclamation of God's grace, and then kind of what this looks like when the Holy Spirit brings about this Christian life in you. Many people think that Paul is preaching gospel and then preaching law, and that then affects how they preach their sermons. They tend to preach the good news of God and Jesus Christ, and they say, now let me tell you how to do this in three easy steps in the application portion of the sermon. Uh, And I think one of the common things that Jake and I share, besides uh, roguish charm and devilish good looks, uh, (laughs) is the fact that we do not add applications to the end of our sermons. Uh, Paul does it, um, it, but it's it's heard, at least in our context, it tends to be heard as, um, now I'm giving control back to you, I'm feeding your ego and telling you things to do. Uh, which people actually will not do. They will want to do, they will mean to do them, they will resolve to do them, but they won't do them. And then it just ends this repeating cycle of defeat. So we got to do what Paul does, rooted and grounded in love in the early part of Ephesians, and that's what you preach on your sermons. Uh, So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, and this is connected to what Paul was talking about last week. I mean, the amazing, amazing, lavish love of God and Mm -hmm. understanding how much God actually uh, isn't enduring and putting up with you. If you start right here, you think God was enduring and putting up with you, so you better or else. But when you realize how much you're actually loved, well, this becomes the in, um, what, what we learned, uh, you know, from Paul's all the enabling word uh, to put away falsehood. You know, um, you know, when you're loved and your failure to be good, uh, when you're loved without any expectation, well, then uh, you can't help but uh, put away falsehood. You can't help because the love of God is so overwhelming. There's absolutely no room for the devil. And right. uh, and I think here, you know, it's interesting. He jumps right into thieves must give up stealing. I love that. Like, who's coming to the church? We one time, somebody came to my church and they were like, um, you know, I left these brand new Ray-Bans on the pew and I just, you know, wanted to see if they're still here. And I was like, they're probably not. Not if we're yeah. doing our job. <laughs> they should be 86. And so... <laughs> But, I, but you know, you 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 see here like what Paul is doing, and he's he's um, 
He is giving dignity. He is describing what this amazing love begins to do. It uh, it it begin. It gives us a desire to actually uh, serve our neighbors. You know, uh, working honestly and and sharing with the needy. Uh, you know, it's not just about let not evil come out of your mouth, but this flips everything up. It builds people up. You know, and so you see what the love of God actually does. And um, and uh, it, it changes us. It becomes an enabling agent to actually care for our neighbor because uh, we've been marked with the Holy Spirit and sealed for redemption. Yeah, little little side note here. I, I saw on Facebook recently, speaking of paranesis and exhortation and, and application at the end of a sermon, in the announcement time after a sermon uh, in, um, in Wittenberg, Martin Luther, <laughs> Herr Luther, said, um, I understand that this is the week for the church collection, and many of you do not want to give a thing. You ungrateful people should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> you Wittenbergers have been relieved of schools and hospitals, which have been taken over by the common chest, and now you want to know why you are asked to give four pennies. They are for ministers, school teachers, and sacristans. And he talks about what they do. And he says, uh, so far the common chest has cared for these, and now you are asked to give four miserable pennies, and you are up in arms. <laughs> What this means is you do not want the gospel preached, the children taught, and the poor helped. Uh, I'm not saying this for myself. I receive nothing from you. I'm the prince's beggar, but I'm sorry I ever freed you from the tyrants and the papists, you ungrateful beasts. You're not worthy of the treasure of the gospel. If you don't improve, I will stop preaching rather than cast pearls before swine. And then he gives a little, like, wedding announcement, like, what time you can come for your marital counseling. It's amazing. But anyway, so... I mean, if you can if you can do paranesis with that much sass, I mean, by all means, do uh, it. Go ahead. Yeah. But I do think, uh, kind of coming back, he's kind of the opposite of what Paul says here. So again, remember, Martin Luther, feet of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Like I said, David will disappoint you. So will Martin Luther. Um, Paul's word here about being tender-hearted, kind to one another forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And there's something really profound here. I bet ev- So one of the things that is true in your congregation, preachers, is that everybody has a forgiveness problem, meaning that everybody is really good at accepting it for themselves, but really challenged to give it out to other people. And many people have one person that they absolutely cannot and will not forgive. And there's something here about being tender-hearted, forgiving yeah. one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, meaning you realize how much you have been forgiven, and what a sinner you are, and that might unlock the key for forgiveness to be extended to other people. I wouldn't say preach this as a you better forgive or else kind of thing, but just to say what does this thing mean to be tender-hearted, and where does that come from? And it, it's a description of how God feels towards you. And I think there's so much Christianity and Christians who are not tender-hearted, who have a cruelty and a kind of an acidic, toxic um, anger in them, and that is not of Christ. And so, mm. and what's, that's, um, I mean, maybe rebuke a little bit, but but really what the call is, you haven't understood the gospel. You haven't understood how forgiven you are um, mm. to be tenderhearted. Well, and then we come to John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40, and 35, 41 to 51. And, um, you know, and this is just basically a continuation of where we've been for the last three weeks feeding of the 5,000, and then uh, the first explanation will give us signs, and then um, and then now uh, here we come where it gets a little t- punchy. I thought it was punchy last week and I read ahead, but this is where we're at. And so um, the Jews, it says, um, he says, I'm the bread of life. So basically tying himself into that Exodus story, um, what, what the manna in heaven 
um, what the manna in heaven pointed to, I am it. Uh, what the rock in the wilderness that followed you around the wilderness for 40 years, I am it. Uh, that's me. And then there, then, you know, the, the crowds here, they begin to complain about him. And they're like, uh, come on, is not this Jesus? I mean, never mind. I mean, just, just think about it. He's fed 5,000 people. He's walked on water. He uh, made a, a wedding earlier popping. And uh, it's, you know, amazing. And, uh, and they're just, you know, they don't see it. And they're asking for signs. And he's like, what? It's a foolish and wicked generation that wants a sign. And he hears them kind of mocking him, you know, whose father and mother we know. This was a, this was a thing that followed Jesus around. You know, he came from some sort of scandal. And so when Jesus answers them and he's like, you know, no one can come to me unless the father. This is exactly what happens. And, you know, and, and really, this, this is the truth. Our eyes naturally do not see Christ. Uh, we want to see him as good person. We want to see him as wonderful prophet. But as Lord, as bread of life, uh, well, that's another story. Yeah. And, you know, the other, so the, the, to me, there's like two big things to preach on here. You pick one of them. But um, uh, the first is this, what you just said, Jake, kind of no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, that there's we don't choose God, God chooses us. Um, and this, it, it just points to the fact that salvation is not a work that we accomplish, which so many people think it is, and therefore they feel defeated and despairing, but it is something that God will do. Um, but the other thing, um, they're actually filming Fast and Furious 9 outside of Jake's window right now. I don't know <laughs> if you guys could hear the cars going by. but uh, So the other thing uh, is this... Um, uh, no, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who's from God has seen the Father. So many preachers, Christians, people think that they have seen the Father. They sort of talk like they're experts on what God is like, and and I just always want to caution people to be very careful about that, um, and uh, to always point people to Jesus Christ, because Jesus here is saying is if you want to if you want to know what God is like, this is a kind of a big principle in Scripture in the New Testament. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. Um, don't get off into sort of flights of theological fancy about what you think God might be like. It, ground it in the person and work of Jesus Christ, because that shows mm. you who it is. And this is where Jesus says, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven." Um, and meaning he, he's, he's a sacrificial offering. This obviously connects to the Eucharist and, uh, or the Holy Communion or Lord's Supper. But, uh, yeah, he, I think that's he, a very, yeah. that's a very important point to hit on. Absolutely. And that, um, one, um, no one can come to the, to me unless drawn by the Father. So you don't, um, pose that as a question to your listeners. You, 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 uh, proclaim that and you have been drawn to the Father. You're you have here. been drawn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if so you're in these pews home. listening to the sermon, you have been drawn by the Father. <laughs> you've been drawn by the Father. And so, um, uh, and, and how do you know you've been drawn to the Father? Well, um, um, Jesus is the Lord and the host of a meal where he still serves you. And uh, he serves you with the bread of life, which is himself that comes and meets you right where you're at. And, uh, you know, and this is the, this is, this is the life of the, of the world is my flesh. And yeah. so um, he is the God who meets us. We want to talk oftentimes about how we can serve God and how we can do this for God and how we can do that for God. But this really is... Um, this is the, the, the punch, is that now God is the one who comes and serves you around the table and feeds you around the table. And, uh, and this is why when they were in the wilderness, they said, manna, what is it? 
because bread from the early, you know, that's part of the curse, is that uh, from the sweat of your brow, you will, uh, you will toil for bread. And all of a sudden, it's given freely mm. in, in, in the wilderness, and now it, but it was temporal. And now it's given eternally in uh, the living bread, Jesus, who uh, can uh, quench, who can, uh, who can um, uh, um, satiate your spiritual hunger and can quench your spiritual thirst. Yeah, and I'll, I'll close with a little illustration here. Uh, I have a friend in ministry in another part of the country and had a person show up Who at is their no, COVID kidding. service. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's Michael Curry, presiding Bishop Michael. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, this person showed up at the service and said, you know, technically I'm a member of your church, but I haven't attended in a long time. I now practice a different religious tradition, and this, this person's spirituality involved a lot of meditation, and which can be wonderful practices, but this person said, I feel like it's been getting a little abstract and outside of myself, and I feel like I need something that you offer here. And this person came for this outdoor communion service, and the minister observed that when this person received communion, I think because of COVID, it was like in a little Ziploc bag or something. When they received communion and ate it, he observed this person just break down in tears, just weeping. Because wow. it's it's so physically connected to you. This is for you. This is not an abstraction. Uh, this is not like enlightenment that comes through being aware of the brevity of life and the passing of thoughts through the transom of your mind. This is somebody who gives his flesh for, the, for you. Uh and that's powerful to be loved in a real way. Um, and so, uh, make sure you help. If you preach on this passage, uh, feel free to use that illustration or another one about people just getting connected, realizing that this is for you. Jesus Christ is the non-abstract, very real, concrete bread of life that he, that is given for the whole world. Yeah. And uh, you notice he doesn't say, I'm the firework of life. I'm the big explosion. He says, I'm the bread of life. It doesn't get any more ordinary than that. Because so much of our life is ordinary, and so he has come to uh, redeem not the spectacular, but the ordinary. And uh, that's where we're all at. So God bless you, dear listener, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.